everyone. This is episode number eight, Hip Health is Power podcast, and I'm your host, Anna Esperham Evans. And we have a special treat for you. I figured we'd probably better talk about the foundations of health and healing, which is often nutrition and the gut. And so we really have to start from there. And we do have a special guest, Randy Evans, my husband. He is a master's level nutritionist. Actually, there's only a few in the country, um, and he studied at Kansas City. It was one of the only programs in the United States, so um, he's pretty special, and he'll tell you a little bit about himself too, but we're really going to delve into just the simple list, healthy eating, as there's a lot of confusion out there in regards to what to eat, um, what diets to be on, um, but really it's just about a lifestyle, and it can really be super simple and really focused on whole foods, and then we're also going to talk a little bit about um, ketogenic diets um, and keto light for women, um, the pros and the cons and how to do it. So we can welcome Randy Evans. Hi, Randy. Hi, Dr. Anna. <laughs> <laughs> so just kind of give us your background and how you got into nutrition um, because you kind of did it the non-traditional way because you used to be in business and sales and then you decided to head to nutrition. So just tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I got into nutrition late in life. Um, I graduated, graduated years ago with business degrees um, and went back to school uh, at the age of 45, uh, really just because I wanted to understand nutrition better. You know, the internet came along uh, years before that, but really got to be at the point where you could get online and find just about anything you wanted to find. And there was, you know, no real uh, research or evidence behind a lot of it. It's just people's ideas. So I went back to school, the idea of getting a master's in nutrition, just to understand it better. And led me then to pursue a dietetics degree because that's really the only nutrition degree out there. And, and then once I got that, uh, the, my third bachelor's degree, I went on back and got a master's degree uh, at the University of Kansas Medical Center. Um, and was very fortunate, both Ann and I, very fortunate to wind up in Dr. Jeannie Drisco's uh, uh, clinic, one of the only integrated medicine clinics in academic medicine for nearly 20 years. So we were both very fortunate to land there and, and really then relearn nutrition at a current level, because at that point, you know, I graduated in 2012. At that point, it was mostly, uh, nutrition was a fairly old degree. Like a lot of the stuff you learned was the things we'd learned for years. And so, so then learning current science and current nutrition uh, with the advent, you know, along came nutritional genomics and genetics. And so we started kind of having this unfolding of current nutrition before our very eyes that continues today. I mean, I'd say we still, still a lot more we don't know than we know, but uh, really cool to, uh, you know, uh, be able to practice that in Jeannie's clinic, um, doing nutritional labs and working with genetic information and, and a lot of sick patients, which transitioned a few years later uh, into working with professional athletes, which I current do, currently do. And it's just interesting to think that we learned, to, we learned nutrition working with a lot of really sick people, a lot of chronic health problems uh, and diseases. And it's interesting, I do a lot of the same things with uh, professional athletes I, do, I did with those very sick people. So really the root or the foundation of health is our nutrition. And so that food we put in our mouth every day has an opportunity to either help or hurt our health. And the goal is to use you know, your food to promote health. And, and that's good for everybody. So that's why it fits for athletes. That's why it's good for uh, sick people. But it's just uh, what's good for humans. 
Yeah, and so Randy and I used to work at the University of Kansas um, Integrative Medicine Clinic within the uh, medical center, and, and that's actually how we met, um, which is interesting, but really what we'd start off with when I would see um, patients with a lot of chronic illnesses, women and kids, is, and, and this includes, you know, inflammatory bowel disease, this could include mental health issues, um, and even cancer. And so what we'd first start off with is when I'd see the patient, I'd have them immediately see Randy right afterward. And we'd really just focus on nutrition would be the first step um, in the integrative medicine program that we would um, promote. So, um, so really, you know, Randy, tell us a little bit about like where should someone start? Um, what do you usually discuss when someone first sees you um, in terms of focusing on real foods and whole foods? Well, patient care can be really complex. Uh, the doctors would run a lot of labs in our clinic. Um, we would, might do food sensitivity testing, inflammatory markers, um, all kinds of conventional labs, uh, can be specialty labs, stool tests, uh, blood sensitivity markers, so all kinds of things we could do. But it, in, at the root of it, we always did kind of the same thing in going back to just real whole food. So, so the, the focus, uh, I always called it hippie nutrition, is focus in our clinic was really just to get back to real food. The food humans have ate for thousands of years. The food our, body, our bodies were designed uh, to associate and, and to use, uh, genetically adapted to the foods, the, the enzymes in our body, the, the, the things that we use to process food, all natural. So to get back closer to the food our body's designed for, and, and on the counter side of that, just to get rid of as much man-made packaged processed food as we could. That's food with chemicals, additives, preservatives, emulsifiers, colorings, things that are making our food much more chemical than actual food. And, and what we do when we do that is we get away with, we, we take away a lot of the sensitivity issues, we improve nutrition contact, we improve the fiber intake, people aren't hungry as often, which helps with hormone balance. Uh, but the key to a healthy nutrition, this real whole food theme, is that it's very, very anti-inflammatory uh, to fuel the body with real food. Uh, on the counter side of that would be to fuel it with all packaged processed food, a lot of sugar, uh, sodas, those things are very inflammatory. Uh, damaged fats, we want healthy fats. So, so the, the theme behind it is it's really just anti-inflammatory and it is really good for the body in a number of ways besides in increasing nutrient intake, increasing fiber, uh, helping with GI flora, uh, it also balances hormones. Um, so it's interesting that, you know, over time, uh, it's a real powerful agent uh, in our health if people can do it. It's not, it's not easy to eat healthy. It's a lot probably more convenient and may even taste better in some cases to eat out, you know, drive through windows and package processed foods. But we find it makes a real difference. And so we saw that help in sick people, people with end-stage diseases, cognitive issues. We saw them do better on this kind of nutrition and then, you know, fast forward five years, take that into the pro athletic world. And I would tell you, most sports teams are really into healthy nutrition, a lot of locally sourced foods cooked on site. So, so not only is it, you know, just good for uh, people trying to heal and recover, it's good for people who want their bodies to perform optimally. And I think we all fit into that category. So when someone comes to you and, and says, you know, they're really fatigued, um, they have a lot of issues, they want more energy, but then they say they've already, you know, they've tried eating healthy for a week or two. I mean, what do you, what do you say to that in terms of timeline for getting well? Well, it's, it's interesting that people do know a lot more about nutrition. I'd say more than most doctors these days. So, so it's cool. There's a lot of nutrition info out there and people are learning a lot, a lot of great books out there. Um, so that's really cool. And, and so people a lot of times come with nutrition knowledge, which is great because uh, it's really a shock when they hear 
especially the average patient, when we talk about using healthy fat in cooking in our diets, really freaks people out to think fat is okay for you. It's, it's, it's such a misnomer. We were taught that fat makes us fat and, and, and that we shouldn't eat it. And most Americans have been low for fat for 40 years. And human bodies made of fat, made of healthy fat, especially important for uh, you know neural growth. Uh, but, but the essential fats, there's two fats we can't make our bodies. We have to eat them. Uh, so, so you know, really important for people young and growing. Really important to help with inflammation, but just for our bodies to function. So, so essentially, you know, look at people, uh, whatever symptoms they might have, whatever health problems they might have, and and some of them are wellness patients. So we would just look at them and say, you know, here's an area where you might do better. Um, and and so to do that, we just run people through a kind of a list of what we call metabolic optimization. That's what Dr. Driscoll called it, but it was really just, you know, kind of an eating plan that's fairly common today. I think it was odd back then, but really just put people back on eating meals. So we focus more on meals and less on snacks. Not that you can't have snacks, but if we get the right components in your meals, we don't need them. Uh, and that includes those healthy fats. So, so focusing on planning of meals that uh, includes, you know, a good, good source of protein, a couple of good servings of healthy fat and then some healthy carbohydrates, mostly complex carbohydrates if we can, uh, maybe some starchy, but mostly complex carbohydrates. And so that combination's long lasting energy. Um, but, it, but interesting to think, you know, our focus on fat all these years has been kind of negative. We do want to get rid of the bad fats. We, we don't want a bunch of damaged processed oils, vegetable oils, I call them, but uh, we really want to focus on like healthy uh, extra virgin coconut oil with no chemicals in it, uh, uh, pasture butter, if people can get that, pasture butter is really good. It's a, got some good medium chain fats in it uh, for us uh, that are quickly absorbed and give us good energy. Um, using things like uh, cold pressed olive oil uh, with no chemicals, no hexane processing. So really focus on getting back to healthy fats, eating more fatty foods like nuts and seeds, raw nut butters, um, almonds, coconuts, all kinds of nuts. Um, and, and then adding to that the, the, the healthy carbs. So we're not certainly not low carb here. We're saying, Hey, we want mostly plant-based carbs. And if we can get healthy servings of protein, you know, range fed, grass fed proteins, great. Um, if not, we probably focus on more of the leaner proteins, but if we get that balance in the meal, that's really all this is, is a balanced meal, you know, healthy carbs, uh, some good protein and good fat. Those give you two long lasting energy sources and some short term energy and that balanced meal typically allow people to go spaces of time without eating. So we're not hungry all the time. Um, and, and that should help people when it comes to hormone balance. So not hungry all the time. So we don't have to have the snacks and snacks tend not to be as good as the food would have been. So if we can go three meals a day and then get a good overnight fast, that can go a long way helping with hormone balance in the body, which is actually important for everything, including our sleep at night. Yeah. And so, um, I mean, just talking about fat, uh, e even for how I eat and how you eat, Randy, I would say I get in probably at least most of my calories from fat. I mean, mostly breakfast is, you know, it's like a bulletproof coffee. And then I'll eat, you know, some bacon, um, which is, you know, usually we try some good sources, uh, find some good sources of bacon and with some blackberries. And then lunchtime, I have a, a really big fatty, um, you know, chicken vegetable soup. Um, so I'd say, and we put, you know, butter, uh, coconut oil, um, and uh, do you even put olive oil in there or just coconut oil and butter? You can put, again, all kinds of coconut, canned coconut milk. You can put all kinds of fats in there, but it makes things taste really good to add the fat back in. We're not talking about major amounts. You know, for servings of, you know, butter is teaspoons. I don't know if I ever used that small amount of butter, but 
Um, we certainly use te teaspoons or tablespoons of butter, you know, half an avocado is a serving, um, tablespoons are servings for most oils. So it's pretty easy to get those servings in there. The real key is that most Americans are, are fearful of fat. And so um, we just try to teach them that it's okay. And, and it is not fat that makes us fat, it's typically the carbs that are making us fat. If you live mostly on carbohydrates, and I would say our guidelines in most Americans still live mostly on carbohydrates, you tend to never be full. Um, and the, one of the best examples of that is rice. I would say rice, I'm not beating up on rice. There's certainly a reason to have it in meals, especially if you like it. But imagine Chinese food at lunchtime, uh, and then you're hungry an hour. It's always the joke about Chinese food, eat Chinese food, and then you're hungry in an hour. Well, that's because if you eat a lot of rice, you eat it, you store it pretty quickly, and you're hungry again. So even if they're healthy carbohydrates, like sweet potatoes, mashed potatoes, any starchy veggie, it's not that starchy veggies are bad, it's just they're not gonna last you very long. So if, if our staple is carbohydrates, especially sugar, it's eat, store, hungry. And that affects our hormones over time. It really gets our hormones sideways. It puts us in a storage mode where we are not metabolically flexible. If we have good protein, if we have good fat and healthy carbs in our diet, that balance encourages our metabolism to be flexible so when we're not eating, we can actually burn stored energy. If we are feeding every hour and a half, two hours, like we've been told by dietitians for about 40 years, don't stop eating all day. Breakfast snack, lunch snack, dinner snack. If we're constantly putting carbohydrates in for those meals and snacks as the primary fuel source, you will always be hungry. And that's what happens. We train the body to be hungry anytime there's not circulating sugar. And that's a dangerous place to be. The human body really is only supposed to have at any one point in time about a teaspoon of sugar in circulation. You can imagine what a soda does to our metabolism. And so if we do that all day, every day for years, we actually put the body in a position where we might have an extra 200 pounds of weight on our body and we cannot burn stored energy. We cannot burn that fat. So the, the idea is to have these meals balanced, to have spaces between meals to allow us to be flexible so that we're not hungry all the time. If we don't have a meal or if we miss a meal, or for not eating when we usually eat, we may not even notice it um, because you can switch over and burn stored energy. You don't feel like you're gonna starve to death and you actually won't get that hypoglycemia that way either. Uh, but if you're somebody that lives on carbohydrates and uses a lot of sugar, you might even feel like you're gonna pass out. Somebody who's pre-diabetic might actually get hypoglycemic. And that's just because that hormone balance isn't there. And, and so I think that's the key. You know, Not only are we talking about nutrition here, we want the body to work right. And we look at all these nutrients in labs and, and know that you know, we need magnesium, we need you know, B vitamins, we need zinc, we need all these trace minerals and vitamins to make our bodies work right and to work at speed. But I don't think many people think about the effect on uh, hormone balance in the body, which that's energy, neurotransmitters, how you think, how you feel, how you sleep, uh, can be hormones for, for people. So there's all kinds of things at play here. And uh, so the power of nutrition here is huge long-term. It just takes time to see it sometimes. So I think that's the challenge we have and oftentimes, you know, we would shoot for weeks. Uh, Dr. Anna made a point that uh, some people come in and say, well, I've done this for two or three weeks and I haven't noticed anything. And that's a good point because a lot of times it takes longer than that. So diet changes can be a tricky because you may officially, initially feel worse cleaning up a diet. Um, and, and so we have to get past that. It's almost like a detoxification to take that bad food out. Uh, your body loves those chemicals or it thinks it does. So you go through kind of a detox period when you go from a bad diet to a healthy diet. And so you gotta give your body some time to adjust, you know, enzymes in the body adjust, your hormones are adjusting, energy levels might 
they go up and down. Uh, so things change. And so we want to give it some time. We would shoot, always shoot for three months minimum. And I think Dr. Grisco would argue closer to a year for most people before you really get, you know, into the habits, your tastes start to change, you start to feel good, everything starts to work. Now I tell you the key to that is, is most people that make those changes, they, some of, most people feel a little bit different, but what they notice mostly is that they fall off of that clean diet and go back to what they were doing. It's like a ton of bricks hit them. So, so it's there, even if you don't notice it, you might notice it if you fell off of it. Yeah, what's interesting in talking about the carbs is, you know, I used to be such a carb eater from my Persian background, eating rice um, all the time. And, you know, I was always hungry all the time, but I was always also tired. After breakfast or lunch, I'd be so tired because it'd be so carb heavy. And then when I switched more to higher fat and more whole foods, I started gaining my energy back. I didn't have to take a nap after lunch, for example, if I didn't eat that much carbs, especially at work. You know, everyone's, you know, needs to take a siesta at work after they've eaten their sandwich, for example. Um, but that might also be due to even gluten sensitivity um, or some of those. And, you know, you can even touch base on some of the most common food sensitivities that um, you see in your practice well gluten's of course everybody talks about gluten so gluten's always one of the questions and and I think that's there I do think a lot of what we see as gluten sensitivity is actually a chemical sensitivity because gluten largely comes in man-made foods so if you if you hear somebody talking about a gluten-free diet that doesn't necessarily mean it's a healthy diet uh, gluten-free contains as much packaged processed crap as regular uh, foods so so gluten-free to us was always foods without gluten in them, uh, not foods, you know, they're made with flour. So our whole foods diet really just contained foods that you could hold in your hand and say, you know, this is a something, this is an apple, this is broccoli, this is an egg, this is a chunk of meat, uh, this is a potato. Those foods are gluten-free. So as a healthy eater, I, I always tell people, okay, we're gonna talk about real good nutrition here, it's real healthy, whole foods. Uh, I, I, and at the end I would say, okay, what we just talked about was gluten-free. You know, gluten-free isn't this crazy thing. Gluten-free is what we were for thousands of years. Um, so gluten-free isn't some freak diet. It's just eating mostly real whole food. There's no gluten in real whole food unless you're holding a handful of wheat in your hand. So, so real whole foods is gluten-free. Gluten is probably the biggest one just because, I and it's, you know, wheat gets the name, but I think if we were overeating any other processed flour the way we eat, uh, we probably still see the same problem with a different name. Gluten is just a really tough protein in wheat and some of our bodies just struggle to break it down. It can cause permeability issues in the GI. So very common though, uh, gluten sensitivity is pretty common. And we're not talking about an allergy, we're talking about a sensitivity. So there can be all kinds of uh, uh, you know, symptoms for that, including GI symptoms, gas, pain, bloating, reflux. That can be gluten, um, all kinds of things can cause symptoms, but the more subtle symptoms might be headaches, you know, poor skin, hair falling out, fatigue. So more subtle, uh, so a little, more, a little harder to see and, and might take a little more time for those to show up if you clean up your diet. So I'd say gluten is the big one. Uh, second to that, Dr. Grisco, I know would say dairy. Um, we see a fair amount of dairy sensitivity, either the milk enzyme uh, lactase uh, with lactose or uh, the uh, protein casein in, in dairy, which can be very inflammatory to some people. Um, and the symptoms for dairy are, are a little bit different. A lot of times that's more inflammatory type symptoms, could be constipation, uh, maybe mucousy, runny nose, allergy-like symptoms are more common with dairy, uh, even though you can have some of those with gluten. So, so I'd say those are the big two. Uh, we saw sensitivity of all kinds of different foods, you know, the normal ones, uh, more of the food allergy stuff like peanut, strawberry, those are certainly, you know, not unusual. Uh, but most of what we tested for was sensitivity, which 
which in large parts based on permeability of the GI. So, so we're always worried about, you know, the health of that GI uh, barrier function um, in the body and, and its effect on the immune system, which can really cause a lot of inflammation. If food is bothering somebody, it might even be a healthy food. If it's, you know, if it's going through that leaky uh, gut, uh, then you can get a lot of inflammation from that. So, so that's one of the primary ways you want to watch out for inflammation in the body is via the food we're eating. So it's healthy food, not a lot of chemical load, so the body doesn't have to process that stuff. And then have the uh, vitamins and minerals that help the body handle inflammation uh, and put that fire out. And I would say that translates really well into my current role is that if we're working with athletes is, you know, we do a lot of training in this country, a lot of uh, in serious training, we're really good at it. I'd say most athletes are overtrained. What most people don't do is balance that training with a healthy diet. And it's the same diet we're talking about here. It's an anti-inflammatory diet. So in athletic exercise, especially intense exercise, can be inflammatory to the body. It's, how it, it's actually how it benefits the cardiovascular system. But that overtraining creates inflammation that may not be good for the body, may not be able to handle it that well. We're going to use the diet to put that fire out. So inflammation via chronic disease or whatever the problem is, could be exposures at work, working around toxins, living in a city where it's pollution, where there's pollution, all kinds of exposures. A lot of things cause stress and inflammation in the body. Overtraining exercise can be one of those. We want to use the food every time we eat to put out that fire. Um, so that along with the metabolic flexibility of the hormone balance, really the two focuses of healthy nutrition, it's really good for everybody. And that's what's kind of cool. I think people always hear my spiel and say, well, okay, this is what we're doing today. Um, you know, we were told salt's bad for us. We were told not to eat eggs. Fat was supposed to be low fat. Fat wasn't good for us. What are we going to be looking at this in 10 years? And this is all going to be wrong too. And I would say what we're doing now makes a lot more sense. This is kind of commonsensical. These are the foods we ate for thousands of years. Uh, we have a, a distinct focus in this meal plan on getting healthy fat and healthy protein in every meal or snack. And those two, interestingly enough, are the two essentials for humans. In our diet, we have to have certain fats and certain proteins we cannot make. We have to eat them, and they are essential for biological function. So, so our focus here is really on kind of that common sense look at food. What's the food we ate for thousands of years? You know, what are the things our body has to have? Uh, and, and, and focusing on those in the meals and snacks. So I think, you know, making sure we get healthy food and healthy fat in every meal or snack you know, making sure there's some balance there. We're not just eating a bunch of meat. We're not eating, you know, all fat. We're not eating all carbs. We want to balance there. And, and again, that strikes that, that kind of grandma's, you know, balanced meal. Uh, look, if you look at it on a plate, it's a fairly common way to look at food. So it's not like it's strange, uh, but very powerful over time. So um, in talking about some of the sensitivities, I, and I, I heard this story from when you were dealing with professional athletes, and I you know, dealt with it a lot in, in my clinical practice at KU Integrative Medicine, but also currently at the Children's Hospital, um, is food and its relationship to sleep. So um, I know you've had some experiences with that, but tell us like, you know, when people are having sleeping problems or their difficulty having difficulty sleeping, falling asleep or waking up from, you know, issues, is there a relationship with the gut and nutrition? Well, there certainly is. Uh, only, only recently we're discovering how powerful, how powerful that is. The athletic world really concerned about sleep now just because we know genetic expression shifts in a way that's, that's beneficial for healing recovery just beneficial for health. So that deep sleep's actually become a real focus for everybody, you know, not only chronic disease, 
people are looking at sleep for cancer. They're looking at it for healing, recovery, and athletes. So, so we know now that that deep sleep is pretty important, and we cannot have food uh, kind of disturbing that cycle. So, so if we don't get into that deep sleep, we don't get the real benefits. Number one, we're tired, but number two, we know now there's a lot of health benefits we're missing out on. So, it has to do with hormone balance and. One of the primary ways we've kind of messed that up is with this carb fueling, a lot of sugar in people's diets, a lot of simple carbohydrates which act just like sugar, a lot of foods that are made of simple carbohydrates. So it's interesting that if we balance, you know, get the meals balanced and we get space between meals and we get people to stop eating earlier in the evening, uh, we typically can affect sleep in that way in that we're set up for sleep by not having a lot of uh, carbohydrates in play, not having a high blood sugar and insulin heading into sleep. Uh, and that's via dopamine in the brain, but but essentially we try to get people to eat balanced meals later in the day as much as we can, and to try to get a little space between eating and sleep. That way, hormones from hunger and eating are not messing up with sleep hormones. Uh, we need that shift in hormones for genetic expression shifts uh, that allow us to get into those uh, deep sleep. If we're constantly eating, especially eating right before bed, the body is really interested in storing food for survival. It's kind of a, a mechanism for survival for us. So if we eat, the body does nothing but process that food first, and that's what gets in the way of sleep. What happens is most people eat a big meal right before they go to sleep. They'll wake up in about an hour when a good chunk of that food's been processed, and so then they're kind of starting over in the middle of what should have been a sleep cycle. They're starting over because the food's finally maybe settled down, uh, passing through digestion absorption. Um, so, so the goal for us is, is even if it's late at night, I got a, young, a lot of young athletes who have, eat meals late in the day. That's when it's most important to keep those simple carbs out. Certainly can have, you know, some, some starchy carbs in there, not a ton, non-starchy carbs. So that's going to eliminate the effect of sugar uh, a lot. It's going to blunt it, but getting some good fat and good protein in there, those are long lasting energy sources that do not impact that sleep cycle. Uh, so really important now, uh, and I think we've only, we're only understanding kind of the beginning of it right now, but but I think everybody agrees uh, not sleeping is not going to be good long term, let alone uh, stress, if nothing else. But that sleep cycle related to healing and recovery is really big. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. We'll probably have a whole another episode on on sleep just alone. But I'm um, getting into um, some of the um, areas that we just talked about in the introduction about um, ketogenic um, versus ketogenic light for women. I know it's a little bit different for women, but Tell us um, a little bit about your experience. Um, I know from my experience in kind of trying the diet for myself, because we used to prescribe that diet um, at the integrative medicine clinic when I was an integrative and functional medicine practitioner. And I, you know, when I tried it for myself, I went into pretty quickly um, ketosis, uh, actually ketoacidosis um, with a beta hydroxybutyrate level that was pretty high. Um, and even, you know, with my ratios of the um, fat to protein and carbs was was not that high for an individual so I, I really couldn't tolerate it because I also felt that it it messed with my hormones you know especially the female hormones quite a bit in terms of menstrual cycle um, for women so tell us a little bit about your experience with that and and what you know you think about it what your experience is and and maybe what you recommend um, especially for women well, a few years ago, you know, the ketogenic diet was still kind of a freak diet. Nobody really knew anything about it. As a dietitian, you're really not taught how to do it even. Um, so typically, uh, you didn't find people knowing much about it. And, and for the people that did, it seemed like a real odd diet. We were all so low fat. We were thinking, oh my gosh, ketogenic. 
high fat diet, I'm going to die of cardiovascular disease. And, and I had patients tell me that all the time. I'm going to die of cardiovascular disease. I said, no, that's not the way it works. That's what we were taught, but it's not the way it works. So, so the cool thing now is, is ketogenics everywhere. And you probably, people listening probably know uh, at least 10 people who've been ketogenic or tried ketogenic or maybe even Atkins, which was kind of ketogenic. So the ketogenics everywhere, people know a lot about it. Most people have tried it out in some form or another. And and I'd say people do it for weight loss, they do it for cancer, they do it for athletic performance, uh, all kinds of reasons people are doing ketogenic. Um, but, I, but I think what we found was interesting. So we, we, uh, we were directed that we were going to start doing ketogenic diet in the clinic and really didn't, had no idea what we were going to do or how to do it because we weren't really trained in it. So blessing of knowing Dr. Grisco was that she got us on the phone with a lot of people around the country who had done it, who were professionals in using ketogenic diet, either in practice or in research. And so we put together kind of a program to do it. And, and, and this is a long story I'll make short, but essentially we started kind of thinking of the concept. We wanted to ease people into ketogenic diet. We didn't want to dump them in because uh, you can get a book and it'll tell you to limit your carbs to 20 grams and, you know, and eat mostly fat. And then it's kind of dump you into ketosis. And so we knew dealing with people that weren't very healthy or were struggling that we didn't want to just throw them into ketosis. So, so we kind of used the transition of going from, you know, whatever a standard American diet was for people. Somebody come to us, we'd say, okay, you're on this diet now, whatever you're doing, let's move to real whole foods. So we started out with kind of that hippie nutrition focus, just get more real whole foods, trying to get healthy fats back into each meal or snack. And, and so that was our focus is the first step, whole foods. Uh, we're not going to jump into ketosis when I first go to Whole Foods, get used to that, get the body used to that, get adjusted. And then slowly we'd start to swap out fruit and starchy veggies by, and then adding more fat. So we're essentially subbing some of the, the healthy carb uh, energy out for fat energy and slowly then transition people over. Uh, for a period of time, we would use oil on that. We would just have people take a tablespoon of coconut oil when they started limited starchy fruits and veggies. So, so there's a lot of ways to do that, but we slowly transition people following their their ratios, uh, comparing carbs and protein to fat, we would slowly kind of move them toward ketosis. But what Dr. Anna experienced is unusual. It, it does happen, but it's not unusual to see somebody just, you know, kind of fall into ketosis. Some, most people have to really work to see the ketone levels she saw. So that's, that's one of the first things or kind of warning signs that we found that we were going to do this on a very individual level. It wasn't going to be, here's what's for everybody. So our slow study approach allowed us to kind of catch that because I, I think women's metabolism is a lot more sensitive to diet changes than men. Um, and if you've ever known a man and a woman who wanted to lose weight and they started eating differently and the man lost 40 pounds and the woman lost a pound. Uh, that's what we're talking about. Uh, nature tries to hold fat onto the female body. So when they try to lose fat and they restrict calories, they can actually gain weight from that. Um, and that's because of survival of the species. The woman's body you know, is supposed to have a baby and there has to be a certain amount of body fat. So it's kind of a protective mechanism that works against our goals sometimes. So this slow steady approach kind of allows us to kind of slip people closer and closer to ketosis and make sure they feel good and the, the body's responding the way it should and they have plenty of energy uh, and that it's working. We did not want to uh, take the female body and say, here, 20 grams, your limit. Let's see what happens. And, and so that slow steady approach is what we did. And, and, and I would say we're still really cautious about dumping. I have plenty of women doing a strict version of the ketogenic diet, you know, really limiting their carbs to maybe 40, 30, 20 grams. And, and they, do, they do fine. They did it on their own with me kind of following. But I would say I don't tell women to do that very often just because we're so concerned about the impact on the thyroid. Um, the impact. We don't want to scare female metabolism because it'll actually slow. 
Uh, we do not want to slow that metabolic rate. If you're trying to manage your body weight or shift, you know, the composition of your body, the last thing you want to do is slow the metabolic rate. And that's a real concern. I think, I think it's one of the things we're just beginning to understand. And interesting, the healthy fat diets have the potential to increase your metabolic rate. So and here we say, and you know, fat was bad for us. And we've been low fat for all these years. And we find that when we introduce fat back into the diet, the body can then burn it and it actually increase our metabolic rate. So it's like, we didn't have, didn't have any of that right. Um, so the, the end of the story is that, you know, we worked really hard on pushing people toward ketosis and we follow labs and numbers for them. And essentially what we found out was, is looking back at our kind of whole foods diet, our regular meal plan, uh, we started checking and some of our people just eating real whole food um, that weren't fearful of using olive oil and butter and healthy fats, they were actually seeing ketones without even trying to be ketogenic. So I guess the long uh, version or the short version of that long story is to say that if you're eating real whole food and you're not eating a ton of starchy veggies and fruit and you have healthy fat in your diet, you may actually be, say, be able to see testable ketones in your blood or urine just because, again, you have that balance. The body's being flexible. You have dietary fat in your, in your, in your diet which you can burn for energy, the body can make ketones from that. And then when you're not eating, uh, there's potential for your body to break down that fat you have on your body and use it and make ketones. And just remember, ketones just mean fat is the primary fuel for the body. It's really not, nothing freaky unless those numbers get really high in ketoacidosis. Nutritional ketosis just means you're using fat for energy and the body makes some of that fat into ketones. So when someone is doing ketogenic or keto light, tell us a little bit about the water intake and how it's so important in, you know, eating higher fat levels in the diet. Well, there's a, there's a couple things to be careful of. Electrolytes can be low. I, th I think there's some, some changes in the body. Uh, one of the big things we see though with ketogenic, uh, since fluid, the body needs more fluid, you're washing out ketones. So, so essentially, it's interesting to me, nobody talks about this, but it's interesting, we pee out ketones. So if you think about that, the human body is peeing out a, a kind of an instant energy source. Ketones are almost like glucose in that they can be used very quickly for energy. So it's kind of like ketones are fast energy from a fat. Um, so it's interesting, we pee those out. So we actually waste energy. There's no other time in the, the body wastes energy like that. So it's interesting that may be one of the, the mechanisms that helps with that hormone balance and, and, uh, and uh, weight loss, revving up the metabolism. But, but it, so we're peeing out ketones, certainly washing out the body. The body probably is a little more acidic, uh, depending on how you're fueling the ketogenic diet. So, so you do it, you have an increased need for fluid. I would say along with that, typically if you're eating healthy food, you're likely going to have an increased need for salt. Now that's in a healthy person for sure. If somebody's told you not to eat salt or to watch out for salt, that's different. But if you're eating healthy food, you don't get a lot of sodium. And we'll actually look at labs in those people and see sodium levels drop like a rock when they start eating healthy. So, so anytime that fluid number goes up, salt's going to have to go up with it just because that's how the body hangs onto that water. Uh, you know, just be, be peeing it out. So, so certainly electrolytes can be an issue in my mind, mostly salt. And um, we see that in athletic, athletic people who try to be ketogenic. They need it. They can't drink enough water or get enough salt, it seems. Um, but I would say that's true in general. We find most people are dehydrated these days. We're just not drinking, uh, or maybe you don't have enough salt to hang on that water if they're healthy eaters. And if you're craving salt, just eat it. Just shake it on. Um, don't worry too much about it. And a lot of the research that's out there is uh, on salt and salt intake and how it relates to cardiovascular disease is really just a lot of the processed foods. Um, the processed foods have a lot of salt in them. And, and so if you take a look at 
well with salt in and all those processed foods, it's really the processed foods that's really causing a lot of damage. Um, so I would totally agree with that. And, and talking about just kind of simplifying everything, you know, Randy, you have this great uh, meal plate that you created um, when we work together and continue to use it, especially in the NFL players that you see today. Um, tell us a little bit about kind of that simplistic guide um, that's so easy to follow versus some of the other complex diets in terms of the meal plate. Well, we may post it at some point. It's just really a visual of a plate. And, and to, to run through it real quick is, you know, if you think of a plate with some lines across it, it's really like holding up your dinner plate and saying, here's what I want to put in these categories. So, so a vertical line down the center of a plate would split it in half. And that kind of right half would be mostly non-starchy veggies for us. So it's, that's thinking of, you know, crunchy stuff like salad, uh, leafy greens of all kinds, broccoli, cauliflower. You know, the veggies we know are healthy for the most part fit in that category. The crunchy colored veggies, lots of vitamins and minerals, good fiber, uh, feed the bacteria in our GI tract. So, so we want those. And you really can't overeat those. I'd say we put that as half the plate just because you don't get a lot of energy from them. So they're just going to fill people up uh, and give them some good nutrients. Um, maybe on the left side of that, you know, that left half of the plate that's empty, let's split that in half again and make those quarters. And the top quarter we usually use is protein. Uh, and that's usually that palm-sized chunk of meat. You don't have to eat meat. I don't want to make people think you do, but um, we see a lot of people do vegan and vegetarian the wrong way. Uh, we see that in labs. So, so for most people, it's that palm-sized chunk of meat. We certainly want protein in every meal. So we'd, we'd work through that and find out what proteins people do like or, or ways to get those essential amino acids in there the ones our bodies can't make, but we do want protein in every meal. So that quarter at the top can be uh, the, the protein serving. And then below that, the, the last kind of portion open would be the starchy veggies. And, and we're not supposed so much against starchy veggies, but if we're not going to use that energy, if, we're not, if you're not a young person, if you're not an athlete, if you're not somebody who's up running around working on real physical, you may not need a whole bunch of starchy vegetables in your life. That's for most people like white potatoes, sweet potatoes, beans, peas, sweet corn, uh, grains would be a whole grains like quinoa, rice, oats, um, those kinds of things. So typically we say, hey, how active are you? How much of those do you need? And this is not a bad visual. If you're not very active or you're not very uh, physical, you don't do a lot of exercise, then you might cut that down to half your fist size. Um, but it's a quarter of the plate just means, hey, we do not want a plate full of starchy veggies if we're not going to use that energy because we're going to use it, uh, we're going to eat it, we're going to either use it or store it, and we're going to be hungry again. So, so the goal is to kind of balance that plate based on the individual. So for my athletes, I'll split that starch out to a third. I'll make protein a third, and I'll make the starchy veggies a third, non-starchy veggies a third. So, so we really just move the lines based on needs. For a young person, I do the thirds. Uh, for somebody who's got a sedentary job working, maybe works out for a half hour a day, I'd split that and make it, you know, half the plate non-starchy veggies, quarter of it for the starch and then for the protein, the, the top quarter. So to so really can move those lines based on people's goals, desires to you know, maybe gain weight, lose weight, gain muscle, uh, whatever their goals are, uh, you can kind of move those around. But it is a really simple way to think about food. And then on top of those categories, we're throwing healthy fat in there, usually trying to get you know, a couple servings of fat into that meal somehow, either by cooking meat in uh, some kind of healthy fat or adding you know, some pasture butter to something like a starchy veggie or putting some cold press olive oil, um, even uh, butter there. Uh, there's all kinds of ways to get fat into that. Uh, adding like avocado to a salad, nuts and seeds to a salad, um, nut butters if you like those. Just trying to get a couple servings of healthy fat into every meal and a snack. If, we, if there's a snack, we want that in there as well. And, and so that essentially is kind of gives you that look at a balanced meal. 
And, and if there's fruit in there, fruit a lot of times is our dessert. We don't always have fruit in there. Certainly you don't need it with every meal, but if somebody's using fruit as for a dessert, that's fine. We really just want that whole food kind of approach with dessert uh, so people can make something out of fruit, but certainly, you know, using uh, kind of a, uh, you know, a fist visual for like an apple or, you know, maybe half of that, uh, trying to uh, use some kind of real whole food for dessert if people do that. Uh, but, but essentially that's, that's our goal is to kind of take that visual and adjust it to the individual that's sitting before us. But I would say that the half non-starchy veggie plate is the one we use most of the time. Yeah, so what we can do um, with this episode is I'll link to the um, healthy kind of food, healthy eating guideline that Randy has created, and then even the meal plate um, if you go to our website, and I'll link that into the show notes as well. And um, But I think, I mean, that's most of you know, some of the basics and the foundations of nutrition that we really wanted to touch base on and, you know, leave us feedback, um, comments or questions because the field of nutrition and healthy eating is really quite vast. Um, and obviously a lot of the healing, you know, starts within the gut, of course, the gut and the mind so connected. Um, so subscribe if you haven't already. You can find us um, at www.healthispowher.com and Instagram. You can find us as well at health underscore is underscore power. And then you can email us at hello at healthispower.com. So, Randy, is there anything else um, you'd like to mention that we didn't touch base on today? No, I think that's a good start. It's really the foundation for talking about other subjects like nutritional deficiencies and things. There's a lot more things you can add into the conversation, but just remember it's the, that foundational concept, which is most important. So not that hard to understand, just sometimes hard to incorporate. Yeah, I agree. I know it, it, you know, when I was in medical um, school and residency, we just ate, I mean, it was mostly carbs and to switch for me, it took me at least, at least nine to 12 months to finally, you know, start a new lifestyle um, with a healthy eating. And, you know, my energy was just so much better. And, and um, I think I had a lot of gut issues as well. And, and that has definitely healed with some of um, the kind of tips that you gave today. So um, we're so thankful um, having you here today. Um, this guy, this kind of guide, this healthy eating guide and the, and the plate meal guide is, is really big. So please um, check that out um, as this is something that's not um, too often out there um, and not available as a lot of the information and the, especially nutrition information is really confusing. So um, check us out um, and we'll see you guys next episode. 